Uh, as you are getting seated there, I hope you'll take your Bibles out and turn with me to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12. We're going to be there, uh, various parts of that chapter this morning as well as some other places. But, you know, the song that we just sang is a great song. And it's one that presents to us a challenge. And it's simply this, that we would let the king of our hearts be in control of all things. You know, it kind of starts that, you know, let the king of the heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, right? So it's this challenge that ultimately, what am I doing? That I'm letting the king of my heart be in control of all things. But as we consider that song, for many of us, there's a question we first have to answer in order to sing that song appropriately. Here's the question that we have to answer, all right? Who or what is the king of my heart, right? If we're going to run to that king of the heart to, to be in control and to be the one that I run to in all circumstances, don't we need to answer the question, well, who is the king of my heart? As I look at my life, I realize this, that there have been times that I've struggled with who I was going to let rule in my heart and who I was going to let be the king of my heart, who I was going to let set on the throne of my heart. You know, when Kim and I first got married, we were very young. We were too young, really, to be married. We got married at 19, and so those early years, we didn't have many resources. We struggled. In fact, after I surrendered to ministry a couple years into my, our marriage, then, then resources really got tight because my first uh, ministry job was getting paid $10,000 a year, and so I was even going full-time to seminary, so I had seminary expense on top of that, and so uh, to say that resources were thin is an understatement. Resources were thin, and at times we just maybe got by, and so I remember for the first 10 years or so of our marriage, we lived in my grandmother's old house. Uh, my grandmother was living with my parents, and so we lived in her house, in essence, to keep it up. And I'll tell you, not having a house payment and rent and those things truly were a blessing. But I'll say this, that house at times left uh, less th than things to be desired, all right? There was a time, for example, we tore an old meat house that used to be behind the house, and so the rats that were in the meat house decided no meat house anymore, we'll take up residence in the house. Okay, and so we had a rat infestation that we were trying to get rid of. I remember one time in the middle of the night, we woke up to a noise and we wondered, what is that? Only to go in the kitchen and there was a possum in our kitchen floor. All right. We would take, uh, we would take uh, you know, sheets and blankets and we'd hang across doorways and so we could block off our living room and so it would be contained and so we could put a space heater in our living room so we could at least stay warm in one room of the house. All right. Like I said, it was less than to be desired at times. All right. So about 10 years into our marriage where Kim and I got to a place where we could finally build a house, we did so. And to build that house, it's, 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 you know, it's an understatement to say we were ecstatic. We built a home that for us was a dream home and that one that we intended to live in forever. In fact, we picked out plans that had everything we needed on one floor. So as we got older, if necessary, we wouldn't have to go upstairs or we wouldn't have to go to the basement. We could live on just one floor. We intended to retire in that house. Now, two years after living there, though, God had something different for our lives and he began to work. And we knew at that moment that God was moving us to a new ministry opportunity. And about that time, Two opportunities presented themselves. One would require us to move to a new city and therefore to sell our home, while the other one would allow us to stay in our dream home. Now, I wish I could tell you in that moment there wasn't a struggle with that decision, but we did. Because really in our heart, here's what I knew, that the one, the position that God was taking me to was one that was out of town and we needed to sell. It was clear that that's what God wanted us to do, all right? No doubt about it. But to say that I struggled, listen, I wish I could say I didn't. 
I wish I could say it was easy for me to sell that house and to do what God wanted me to do. But in that moment, I'll have to say, I didn't want to give up that house. I wanted it was what I thought God had provided for us. It seemed again to be a dream home. And so we wrestled with it. And here's what we had to wrestle with in that moment. What was going to be the king of our hearts? We had to wrestle in that moment. Was God going to be king? Or honestly, was that house going to be king? We were going to let the material things in our life drive our life. Or were we going to choose to follow God? Now, thankfully, I will tell you that as we wrestled with God, God won. We sold our home and we moved to another town. But it wasn't an easy decision. We almost let something other than God be our king. Now, maybe we are the only ones that would struggle with something like that. But I really don't think so. I believe that others would have had the same struggle. And our scripture today is going to verify that. I've encouraged you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 12, and we're going to start reading in verse 19, because in this chapter, we're going to look at a conversation that Samuel, who was the last judge of Israel, had with the people of Israel. And as we look at this conversation, the first thing that we're going to see is exactly what I've been alluding to, which is this, is that we have a tendency to choose the wrong king. All right, we have a tendency to choose the wrong king. Look at the Israelites' words to Samuel. He says, and all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. You see, these words of repentance by the Israelites came because of a moment right after we could say uh, was a lecture by Samuel. Samuel had given the people a lecture. And the people realized something from that lecture, that they had made a grave mistake, that they had asked for themselves a king. Now, we may wonder, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with asking for a king? Well, what is wrong with that request is this. God wanted to be their king. He wanted to reign in their hearts. He wanted to be the one that the people looked to for guidance and direction and, most importantly, satisfaction. All right? Now, before we explore this too far, let, let me look back and set the stage. You know, last week we looked at Samson and how he failed to follow God's will for his life. A close look at Samson's life reveals that he truly lived for himself. However, we need to understand that Samson's life was simply a microcosm of the Israelite people. In Judges 16 is where we read last week about Samson's death. And in the very next chapter, we read these words in Judges 17, 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. See, those words are repeated in Judges 21, 25, and they happen to be the last words of the book of Judges as well. They are a summary of the light of the Israelite people at this time. In other words, this was a people who, even though God had continually sent people to deliver them and lead them, they continually did their own thing. They failed to let God rule in their lives. They, in essence, hear me, they, in essence, chose other kings. This is where Samuel comes in. As the book of Samuel starts, we see God, once again, working to deliver and to guide his people into what is right. And so we see that Samson is another one of these miraculous births where, where Samson truly becomes, again, uh, you know, someone who God is going to use miraculously. And Samson becomes a good leader for the Israelites. But like we all do, Samuel became old and he moved toward the end of his life and reign. Now, the issue was this, that Samson's sons were not godly men like he was. They were actually crooked men. It was expected that one of them would succeed their father, but they were not worthy of the task. And so the people rightfully didn't want them to lead them. And so they made a request in 1 Samuel 8. And here's the request. He says to Samuel, behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us 
like all the nations. Now, this request on the surface may seem harmless to us. However, we need to consider the error in their request. Notice this, all right? They asked that they would get a king, but they wanted a king like other nations. Now, do you understand what's wrong with that? If not, let me remind you that God chose the nation of Israel to work through to bless all nations and to bless the world. We have seen and know that God worked miraculously in their lives. However, maybe what we haven't done a good job of explaining or maybe we have simply overlooked is the fact that the Israelites were to be a distinct people. They were to be a holy nation. God didn't want the Israelites to be like the other nations for all the other nations worshiped false gods. All the other nations did not seek to live in ways that honored God. The other nations were not godly people. God did not like the, want the Israelites to be like all others. He wanted the Israelites to pursue his way above all and he wanted them to be distinct. He wanted the Israelites to stand out. In fact, they were to be so distinct from the other nations that the other nations were to look at them and say, we want what they got because they're just so different. They're so unique. They're so distinct. They're so holy. We want what they got so that other nations would eventually turn to God. And yet we hear the Israelites here saying, we want to be like the other nations. We want to be like them. I hope you see the problem. Now, if you don't, let the words of, of God to Samuel speak to you. Maybe it'll become clear because God says this in verse 7 or 1 Samuel 8. He says, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they not, have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Now, that should make it clear, should it not? God wanted to be their king. Yet they rejected his leadership and desired another king. In other words, the people were rejecting God. Now, as we look at how I stated it in this point, I want us to be aware. We have that same tendency. We have the tendency to not choose a literal king over us, but we have a tendency to let other things rule our lives rather than God. We let other things practically be our king. I mean, in a time when we are in the midst of an election... Some are looking for a president to rule them and to take care of their problems, all right? But I want us to know that no president is to be our source of hope or security. God alone has that position, all right? There are times when we let jobs reign in our lives. We are more controlled by the security and the provision of a job than God. So much so, there are times when we keep jobs just because of the things they provide rather than looking to God for direction. I mentioned to you earlier then how I almost let a house control my life rather than God. Maybe you've done the same thing. If it wasn't a house, maybe some other possession. And then there are times we let people be that king in our life. Whether we live for the approval of others or the opinions of others, we let others control our lives. And if those things are before God, hear me, then we are letting them be a king. And it is our tendency to choose the wrong king. And we need to be aware of that tendency. Even though that is our tendency, I do want us to see some good news, though. That we have a tendency to choose the wrong king, God, in his grace, works through our imperfection. You know, if I were God, all right, and you're all glad I'm not, right? But if I were God, if I were God, if the people, in essence, rejected me, I would have rejected them. I wouldn't want anything to do with them. Well, look at what God said to the people after they had confessed their sin in 1 Samuel 12, 20. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. 
For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. You see, I love that Samuel tells the people to not be afraid, because too often people who make a mistake run away from God in fear rather than running toward him to find healing. Samuel encouraged the people to not be afraid of God. Instead, he encouraged them to turn to God. See, if one is not careful, you can let one mistake lead to another mistake, which leads to another mistake and then another mistake. It's like the person who does the wrong thing and then tells a lie to cover up that wrong, which then leads to more lies and deceitful actions trying to not get caught. Folks, two wrongs never make a right, right? Samuel wanted the people to follow the Lord and not turn to empty things. Even though in this case, the initial sin was rejecting the Lord, Samuel was saying, turn to the Lord now. Make the correction quickly. Get back on track. Let the Lord be your king of your heart right now. See, we have to remember that God had already proven time and time again to be a God of grace. The book of Judges records, as I noted last week, how God's people continued to rebel against him suffer for that rebellion, cry out to God for help. God would then send somebody to deliver them and then they would serve God for a while before going and doing the same thing over and over again, starting that cycle, all right? We look at the failure of the Israelite people and we shake our heads and we think, you know, how awful their actions were, but often what we fail to do in the midst of that is be amazed at the fact that God can have so much grace, right? We focus on the people's failure and we miss the grace that God pours out on his people. But that's the kind of God he is. I've got a grace that works through our imperfection. In fact, don't even forget Romans 5, 8 that said this, but God shows his love for us and that we, while, we will st- while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, in our imperfected state, God was still at work in our lives. He worked to pour out his grace upon us. And Samuel encouraged the people to not be afraid, but instead to serve God because, as he noted, the Lord will not forsake his people. God had made a promise to Abraham that he would not go back on because God is not a God who changes. God is not a God that's going to go back on his word. And the people of Israel could be reassured that God would forgive them because that's God's character and God would work for his glory and their good. He is still working that way today. Think even about this. The people had inappropriately asked for a king like all other nations. But what did God do? He honored their request and gave them a king. And not only did he give them a king, he worked in that king's life. The king God gave them was Saul. And and, and we see as God chose Saul, he worked to help him be a proper king. In fact, through Samuel, God told Saul this in 1 Samuel 10, 6. He said, then the spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy with him and you will be turned into what? Another man. Then a few verses later, we read, when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all these signs came to pass that day. In other words, so God worked in Saul's life to help him be a proper king for Israel, a king that would do as God had planned for Israel's life, make them a mighty nation to proclaim the greatness of God. Now, as we have said all along in this series, God's plans are unbroken. Even when our focus gets off, God is undeterred. Those Israelites asked wrongly for a king, God still said, I'll work work through that wrong request to accomplish my purpose. And God did this because he is a God of grace who works through our imperfection. And as we think about this truth, think about how many people have you known that at one point in life made a mistake only later to be used by God in a powerful way? 
Have you known anybody like that? I mean, some of those are famous ones like Chuck Colson, who through Watergate went to prison, uh, you know, for, for his part, only later to start Prison Fellowship Ministry, where he ministered to prisoners and their families. And he became one of the most influential evangelicals of our time. God works in lives to change people through his grace and for his glory. Even in our own congregation, we have examples of changed lives, lives that God is using for his glory. And here's what I'm thankful for, that God does work through our imperfection. Just because we mess up, just because at times we do choose the wrong king, or as the Israelites did in wrongly desiring a king, God doesn't just cast us aside. God gives us grace, and we should be foreverly, for eternally grateful for that grace, okay? But with that said, we have to be open to receive that grace. Actually, we are reminded through all this that I've shared so far this that God wants us to choose him. All right, if you want me to make it personal to you, let me make it. God wants you to choose him. Don't overlook the fact that here in 1 Samuel 12, where we have been today, that the people did recognize their failure. They had asked Samuel to pray for them. And now listen to what Samuel went on to say to the people in verse 24 and 25 of 1 Samuel 12. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. You see, there's great comfort to be found in God's grace. Can we agree? Shake your head this way. Great comfort. But that never relieves people from their responsibility. You see, Samuel made it clear moving forward that the people still had to make a choice. They still had to choose to serve God. Samuel encouraged the people to consider all that God had done for them. And where should these people start considering all that God had done for them? Giving thanksgiving for who he is. I mean, at the very basics for what God has done. Psalm 100 wasn't written when Samuel asked the people to consider the great things God had done, but it surely is appropriate. Listen to it. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Samuel could have looked at the people and said, I, I want you to remember what God has done. First of all, God's made you all, praise the Lord, right? He then could have looked at them and said, he's continued to be good for you. He's continued to love you. He's continued to be faithful to you despite your failures. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Again, remember the Israelites had continually rebelled if God had delivered them. He could have looked back into Israel's history and said, remember what God has done, how God delivered us from bondage out of Egypt. Remember how God took us through the wilderness and provided. Remember how God then took us into the promised land and gave us this abundant land. Remember how God has brought us judge after judge after judge to deliver us from our enemies. He could truly say this to the people, consider the great things that God has done. Those are words of comfort, are they not? In fact, let, let me challenge all of us to do something. Let me challenge all of us to take time to regularly stop and consider what God has done. To stop and be thankful for all that God has done in our lives. You know what I often do? I often have this tendency to look at the negative. Anybody, anybody else? 
I look at the negative, and what I do is I forget to thank God for all the good things he has done. Even at church, all right, where, where, where life can get difficult at times, I forget to rejoice in what God has done. I, I can look back over the years, think about how difficult of a year it's been at church, all right? Y'all know how difficult it is, right? And I forget to stop and say, but God, in the midst of COVID, we baptized people. In fact, God, I know right now we have two people waiting to be baptized at South Wilson, and I forget to say, thank you, God, that you're still working in lives. Again, even at church, when we look and we know that attendance has been down and all that's been down, but I forget to stop and say, God, thank you that even in the midst of that, that we've paid our bills. The, the, the church people have been faithful. We've not had to worry about paying our bills. We've done that. In fact, we paid our bills so good that when we took a PPP loan at the beginning of all this, not knowing what the futures hold, that we have paid that loan back saying we haven't needed it because our God has been faithful. And I forget to stop and say, God, thank you for your faithfulness. Is anybody else like that? Sam, we could have looked at the people and said, remember what God has done. We need to do the thing and be remembered that God has been good. Samuel wanted the Israelites, remember what God has done. But as we move forward, we have to be challenged and warned so that we don't take God's goodness for granted. Samuel made it clear to the people, if you do wickedly, you will be swept away. And in this particular case, he said, both you and your king. Samuel had even made it clear to the people earlier in the chapter the conditions of having a king when he said this in verse 14. He said, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. You see, know this condition for how things would go for the people under a king. It had nothing to do with the king. Did you notice that? It didn't have anything to do with his abilities. It didn't have anything to do with his wisdom. It didn't have anything to do with it. How would it go? Things would go depending on how the people went with the Lord. If the people and the king served the Lord, things would go well. All right? If they didn't, then things would go poorly. Why? Because the ultimate question is still this. Is God the true king of your heart? Is God the one really in charge of your life? That is what God wanted to know then, and God's plans are unbroken. God still wants to reign in our life. He still wants you to choose him. Think about when Jesus taught us how to pray. What did Jesus tell us to pray for? Do you remember that? Think about it, Matthew chapter 6. Did Jesus teach us to pray for the right king? Let me make it more relevant for us today as we get close to an election, okay? Did he teach us to pray for the right president? All right? No. No. He didn't teach us to pray for the right president. Listen to what he told us to pray for. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What did he pray for? He prayed for God's kingdom to come. In other words, to pray that God would reign in the hearts and the lives of people. You see, later in the same chapter, if you remember, Jesus gave what to me is one of the most quoted lessons. It's a lesson that is definitely relevant for this message today, but relevant for every day of our life. What did Jesus teach in Matthew 6? He said this. He said, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all the glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, he will, will he not much more clothe you, O you little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What did he teach? Here's what Jesus taught. To choose to let God reign and have control in your life. To let his kingdom be what I seek after more than anything else. You see, we are often anxious in life because we are putting other things on the throne that only God should sit on. We look at material things and say, these are the things that are going to make us happy. And then we pursue those things only to realize that they are controlling our lives. And instead of making us happy, they are making us miserable. We let the wrong things reign in our lives. But when you seek first the kingdom of God, hear me, he provides you what you need. He really does. Everything in life boils down to this. Will you let God be the king in your life? I'm going to go this far, all right? Do you know what is the answer to all the things that divide us? You're going to be, you're going to go home. You got this way. You can share your friends. Our preacher told us he's got the solution to all the things that divide us. And I'm going to give it to you today. Is that a good thing? I, I got a solution to all those things. And here it is. Well, people choose to let God be the king of their lives. Because I'm going to guarantee if God reigned in people's lives, there would be peace and justice and unity. And the solution, hear me, starts with God's people. Remember, as you look at this request for a king in 1 Samuel, this was God's people who were requesting a king. When they should have been saying, the only king we need is God, they were saying, we want an earthly king like others. We need to catch this because God wants to rule in our hearts. And when God rules in our hearts, life is simply different. And think about this. To let anything or anyone else rule you is setting yourself up for disaster. You know, we mentioned that God works through our imperfection, even in the case of the Israelites, by giving them king. But even with that said, let me say this, okay? God said, I'll give you a king, but there are going to be consequences. I'm going to work through that king, but there's still going to be consequences. If you don't believe me, go back and read because God said, I'll give you a king, but here's what's going to happen. This king, he's going to take your sons and he's going to make them serve him. This king, he's going to take your daughters and make them serve him. This king, he's going to take a tenth of all your possessions. He's going to take, he's going to take, and he's going to take. See, there are consequences of having the wrong king, even the one that God works through. Are you with me? Also, what we will see next week is the only king. There's only one king that's perfect. Because we're going to see that Saul fails as king, that David fails as king, that Solomon fails as king. Because none of them will be perfect kings for Israel because the only perfect king is God. He is the only one that will not fail. And so if you want a perfect king, only God will do. And God's promise for those who follow him is that he will provide abundantly. He will guide rightly if you will let him be your king. And so will you let him be your king? Again, will you choose to let him be the king of your heart? God wants you to choose him. 
The Apostle Paul was writing to the young pastor named Timothy. In his first letter, Paul wrote these powerful words. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent. Let me pause and translate. Paul was letting something other than God rule in his heart at one point in time. At one point in time, he was following another king because he was a blasphemer, he was a persecutor, he was an insolent opponent of God, all right? You understand? He said, that's who I was. I had chosen the wrong king. Let's continue. But I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Let me translate again, all right? But this God is a God of grace who works through our imperfections. And Paul said, God worked through my imperfection and through his grace in Christ Jesus, he saved me and he gave me a new purpose. He helped me put him as the king of my life. Let me read on. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me translate again. But I, Paul, through God's grace, all right, I've let, chosen to let God be my king so that he might be glorified through my life, and he deserves it, all right, because he is the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory to him forever and ever, amen. See, Paul chose to let God be king, and God worked powerfully in his life. Can I ask you this morning, will you choose to let God be your king today? All of us here have to choose the king that's gonna be in our life. And all of us here today have chosen the wrong king at some point or another. Some of you right now are probably serving the wrong king. But be thankful in his grace. God's still working in your life. He doesn't want to be done with you. He has a better plan. And what I know for sure is that God has sent Jesus to rescue you from your sin, to provide forgiveness for your past mistakes, and to offer to all who will follow him a new life, a second chance. He gives us all the opportunity today to follow him. And he is just wanting you to choose him. And so will you today? If you have been letting someone or something else reign in your life instead of the Lord, today is the day to let him start reigning in your life. And if you choose him today, you will be amazed at what he will do. And so let's do this as we close. Let's stop for a moment and ask this question. All of us, what today is reigning in my heart? What is the king of my heart today? And if it's anything other than God, here's what you need to do in this moment. Would you confess that? And would you say, God, I've been letting this control me rather than you? Would you recognize this? I've been letting this person, God, control me. Today, God, I confess that you've not been a king in my life, all right? Then do this. Look to the God of grace and do this. Say, God, I'm thankful that you're a God of grace who even though I've chosen another king, that you haven't turned your back on me. And so today in your grace, I come to you, God, and I ask you to forgive me again and help me to seek you first. Forgive me for putting something else there and help me today, Lord, as I seek to put you on the throne of my heart. And then today, choose God. Today, choose to let him have complete control of your life. And I will promise you this. If you put him on the throne, you will not be disappointed. Let's pray together. Our Father, we bow in your presence today, Lord. And 
We ask in this moment, as we come to this time of invitation, that you will help us in this moment to reflect and to check even our own hearts to see who's reigning or what's reigning in our hearts. If there's anything other than you, Father, I pray today we'll give you control. Thank you, Lord, for the times in, in my life that you have forgiven me, Lord, those times when I put something else there in place of you. I thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven me. And even today, God, I ask you to search my heart and help me to make sure, Lord, you're on the throne. But for all of us here today, help us to do that. And God, pour your grace down in these moments. And so if some today need a new direction, they'll receive it. If there's some here today that need Jesus to come in and save them from their sin, I pray this is a moment they, they do it. I pray they don't leave this place with someone or something else controlling their life other than you. Let this invitation be a time truly we check our hearts. And Father, we give our life to you. And so, again, Father, speak to us. And I pray that people will respond in Jesus' name. Amen.